Hello and welcome. This is the Focus Masterclass podcast, where we speak to some of the great minds in visual effects to dive deep into every part of the industry, from production, the creative process, business, and technology. In this edition, we're back for part two of our masterclass with MPC VFX supervisor Eric Nash. This time he takes questions and discusses the challenges of building environments and the elements that make them come alive. Please enjoy this second part of Eric Nash's masterclass. What are the typical challenges or roadblocks you face when you when creating environment VFX that looks very real, particularly when you shoot shoot in a studio? Well, as I referred to, lighting is is the toughest thing. Um, you know, daylight, whether it's hard sunlight or you know open sky, is, is the scale of it outdoors is is so big and whenever you're on a sound stage even a big sound stage um it's it's really tough to replicate and traditionally uh the cinematographer takes his best crack at it without sort of um a lot of thought giving to well what what is the sky in this ultimately going to be. And it often falls to us in visual effects once it's been shot and turned over to go, okay, well, here's how it was lit. Now, how do we shoehorn uh, a background and a lighting condition in and around the way this usually fairly contained set was shot, which is the reason I wanted to take a different approach this time around and both have a lot of choices available to us, but also get the director and the cinematographer to commit up front to a condition and have an image. Uh, in this case, one of these high dynamic range sky domes that we all point to and agree upon this is the sky that is lighting this scene. And then with the the little bit of technology that we developed uh, with the help of some people at Technicolor, uh, we were able to basically do this image-based lighting. Um, and it, it had two advantages. One, we knew going in what the background was going to be or what the, you know, the deep background, if you saw the sky, but we also knew how to light the CG environment around it because we had committed to this, this sky dome image. Um, and it, it really worked out exactly as well as I had hoped. Um, and in talking to some of my colleagues at MPC, there's a lot of interest in this system and, and using it uh, on other projects going forward. Would you say that lighting would be the key element that really... Absolutely. Um, yeah, brings an environment to life. Yep. Yeah. And um, yeah, the other thing I would say is, especially in a, a naturalistic environment like this, um, rather than modeling things from the ground up, having stuff built from photography, which is why we sent our photogrammetry team, uh, 
up to the Yukon, you know, on two different occasions, uh, so that everything was built from photographic reference, or in a lot of cases, um, you know, modeled from photography. And we had all those great photo textures so that we weren't creating shaders or, <clears throat> you know, modeling from scratch. I remember that was also um, one of the big things for the Lion King as well. When um when we were when I was discussing this with another um supervisor I think on the Lion King like how the lighting was this this the the key thing and how it lit like certain parts of the whole savanna so I feel like this would be so yeah I feel like that's um that was also interesting that you guys like the team went to the the actual locations like twice one in the winter and then one in the one in the summer is that right or yeah. spring or no it was yeah. Middle of summer. summer and middle of winter. The tricky yeah. part it's, about the winter up there is the days are so short. Uh, yes, you know, exactly. Sun, sun comes up late and goes down early, so not a whole lot of working hours in the uh, in the day in the middle of the winter. I wanted to pick apart a little bit or kind of dig a little bit deeper about like the set. Um, how much mm -hmm. of the environment do you want to simulate on set practically, or like? Do you simulate as much as you can and then add in the other details you cannot later on? Or how does that work? Well, what we did for all of the sets we built up at our ranch, um, the parts that we built, the, the way it was designed was we designed a bigger set than was going to be built. And then myself, in conjunction with the production designer, looking at budget and how big a, uh, an area we had at the ranch to build the set, we would decide where the practical build would stop and where the CG extension took over. And within the footprint of what we were going to build, build, it was built and completely finished. Um, a lot of times, like if you're doing uh, a downtown street, you'll only build the first floor and then everything above that would be extension. We would build the whole building. I mean, they weren't tall buildings, but a lot of them had second stories, but they were built all the way up to the second story, including the roofs. Um, the back sides of the buildings weren't finished because we never went back there and shot. That's not true. There was one instance where we were on the backside of a building, but we knew that going in, so that was finished. But uh, in general, what was going to be built was built and finished in its entirety, and then there was a clean dividing line where that practical set stopped, and then everything beyond it would be a digital set extension. The art department... Uh, was instrumental in giving us guidance and designs and reference materials for what the rest of that build looked like. Um, but it was those parts of the, say, uh, Dawson City, you know, down the street, that was all created um, by the MPC asset teams based on this art department material that they turned over. And how much influence do you have on like set building? Were you, you so 
you've kind of mentioned already that you sort of optimized optimized it for for the VFX. Yeah, it it was. <clears throat> there's always a lot of back and forth. You know, the production designers working within a fixed budget uh, in terms of what they can afford to build, and they want to make what they build as good as it can possibly be. So in that regard, they want to build less so that they can put as much love and care into what they do build. On the other hand, we want them to build as much as they can afford to, to minimize how much set extension. I mean, we know we're going to have to do the set extensions, but we want to get <clears throat> at least some of the photography, some of the tighter coverage within that set to be fully contained in the set. So there's a lot of back and forth. Um, budget plays a huge role in, you know, what ultimately winds up being built and what winds up being done digitally. Um, and it varies from set to set. So it, it's sort of a, a very organic process with a lot of give and take. And then there are late changes and, um, you know, there visual effects portion of it, we have um, the luxury of all of post-production. You know, we don't have the same sort of drop dead, hard, hard and fast deadline by which point the set has to be done that the practical build is. Um, so we have the luxury of being able to have things evolve and and change as we go. What was, um, well, this is my last question before we go okay. to the social media questions. Okay. Um, what was the most challenging shot or sequence from all of this that you, that you had to do? Oh, probably the avalanche sequence. Um, because it, it's, Buck leading the team, pulling the sled down a frozen river in broad daylight um, when an avalanche occurs that threatens them. And the sequence uh, segues into Buck figuring out a way to save themselves by taking them into an ice cave that is shielded from the the avalanche. So we had, uh, so the only thing that was photographed was uh, the two actors, Omar Sai and Kara G on the sled and the sled. That was the only thing in the entire sequence that was actually shot with a motion picture camera. The entire frozen river mountain valley um, environment was a hundred percent digital Obviously, the avalanche was a huge visual effects undertaking. And then when they went into the ice cave, that environment was all uh, digital. And the lighting, again, back to the lighting, the lighting once we were in the cave where the daylight is pouring through this, this frozen waterfall um, that's very striated, um, you know, so we had to have a traveling light effect, which we did with a, an LED wall, giving this sort of flashing light on the, on the actors and the sled as they raced 
down the length of this ice cave. Um, it's really, I think, terrific sequence. It really turned out well. Um, but definitely in the running for one of the most complicated ones in the movie in terms of visual effects. And, you know, nine CG dogs <laughs> thrown in for, <laughs> for good measure. For sure. Right. So for everyone, for the benefit of everybody else listening, um, we asked, we put out a question, a call for questions on social media, and we got a couple um, for you, Eric. So the first one is, how did you sell to the client that worked on in CG would be cheaper than doing it practical on location? Uh, well, the short answer is we didn't. We didn't sell it. We didn't have to. It was determined... Uh, ahead of time above our pay grade that that was the way it was going to be done. Nobody, uh, none of the powers that be wanted to do this, shoot this movie in the Yukon. Um, just the dealing with weather and the logistics of shooting in that sort of rugged wilderness were, uh, not anything anybody wanted to do. And, you know, rightfully, as I sort of led off with the fact that it was going to be a huge visual effects show because of the dogs. Once once a shot is by definition a visual effects shot, the added expense of doing environment work in addition to the CG dog work um, is an incremental uptick in expense rather than a shot that otherwise would have been a practical shot. We knew that there weren't going to be a whole lot of shots in the movie that didn't involve CG. So why not make it uh, a much more practical production by not going to the Yukon and working in the comfortable confines of the, you know, the Hollywood zone. That's actually a re very interesting point. Um, I would, so I suppose then that if just to jump off of this question as well, um, I suppose then that it's, it would also be more difficult to shoot like a CG dog or something in the Yukon or like in any kind of hostile, well, not necessarily hostile, but like kind of, you know, that yeah, kind of environment. It makes everything harder. Um, yeah. And, you know, you're, you're traveling the entire crew. You're putting the entire crew up in hotels and, and per diem. And uh, weather is a huge issue um, in areas like that where, you know, you could get rained out for days on end. Um, and not lighting. a prop And lighting. Yeah. And again, sh you know, when you get into the winter part of the story very short days um you know more than half of the exteriors of the movie take place in the winter yet we shot in the summer you know when we had long uh you know long hours of sun sunlight um here in the lower latitudes um yeah so it Given the nature of the project, it really made sense on a whole bunch of levels to do it this way. So the, the short answer is we didn't have to convince anybody that this was the way to do it. Everybody uh, saw that that 
this was the way to do it. Yeah. Um, final question from social media as well. A little bit left field, but I suppose I'm curious as well, like what you think about this. What is the easiest animal to animate? Uh, well, that is, that's an easy one. In the context of Call of the Wild, which had a lot of dogs and a bear and caribou and uh, a lot of four-legged mammals, um, but easily, by far the easiest of the animals we did on Call of the Wild was the birds, um, partly because, you know, birds in flight, uh, it's very much a cyclical animation. I mean, it's basically just flapping wings and the fact that they're seen from a distance in, f in flocks, usually, um, it's makes it so it, it's almost a procedural task as opposed to anything that, um, takes a lot of care and nuance. Not that it's easy, but compared to you know, a dog with facial expression and, and fur dynamics. Uh, the birds were quite a bit easier. All right. Thank you so much, Eric, for your time and for doing that um, really insightful masterclass. It's been my pleasure. And good luck with your future projects as well. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed this masterclass podcast, please sign up to our newsletter at thefocus.com slash subscribe. To keep up with future podcasts, as well as get the latest visual effects content, tailored job alerts, and virtual learning materials straight to your inbox. You can also subscribe, follow, or like us on our social media channels at The Focus Careers. We'll share the links to those channels in the description. We'll speak again next time.